don't need me. What do you need me for, Joel? Quite the opposite. This is Worldview Wednesday. I'm Joel. And I'm Pastor Rafe. And man, Rafe, before we get into it today, you, dude, we picked a we picked quite the topic. I will say. Um, let's do a quick check in. How are you doing? Looks like you got a little haircut there. Very nice. Well, you know, I have a new barber. My wife's taken over. COVID right. has uh, COVID officially is saving me about twenty bucks a month on a haircut, and uh, I'm just trying to figure out what I'm going to do with the extra money. You know, I mean, I got <laughs> I got an extra twenty bucks a month, uh, but no, there's slowly. Uh, you'll notice it's just getting a little shorter. The the uh, managing managing the haircuts. She's beginning to learn the barber skills, so the shorter the haircut is actually a little simpler, but. Very nice, man. Very nice. I, I got, I've gotten one haircut since March 5th. I think I got one right before our wedding anniversary. And then, um, I got one, I, it's been, it's, it had been about two months, three months, and now it's been another however long. And, uh, so I'm, I'm, you know, the, the, uh, the, the bird's nest is beginning to pile up, up there, but that's all right, man. It's what the Lord gave me, and uh, you know I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not ashamed. Oh, of that. sharp! I miss your beard, though. I mean, are you gonna grow back? You know. So here's the thing. Let me tell you. I saw. Oh, my wife says I say here's the thing too much. So I I'm gonna try not to say it. We'll need some thing. kind of a signal. You know, if I catch you saying it, I'll just look for like a like some kind. I don't know. Is there some kind of signal I could do where I scratch my neck or something? Every time I say it, have Sarah standing behind you. Have her give you a little bit more of a haircut. <laughs> and then that all, <laughs> oh, nothing left. <laughs> that all, no. Oh, nothing left. Uh, well, I I saw a picture of my two brothers hanging out the other week, and they both had mustaches. My brother Parker has got this amazing handlebar mustache, which idea he stole from me several years ago. But then my other brother Gabe, he also had a mustache. It wasn't a handlebar, but it was a solid looking mustache. And I thought, am I the only set of case brother right now without a mustache? So what I'm doing is I'm growing it, I'm growing it out a little bit. And then eventually this is going to go the way of the dodo, the way of the Buffalo. And then I'm going to get, it's going to be just yeah. the, the stash again. I think that's, yeah. I think that's where we're headed. Well, look, I, I was just telling you the other day, I, I'm looking forward to hanging out with your brothers. I follow Parker online, and uh, I don't know about I don't know your other brother all that well, but I follow I follow Parker online, and I can't wait to connect with him. He seems like a like a guy I'd like to spend some time with. Yes, uh, definitely, definitely. Uh, I'm looking forward to that as well. So, brother, what are we talking about today? Oh, well, you know, I think what we're maybe by way of entering into the conversation, uh, you came across a tweet from Al Moeller. Uh, which just kind of jumped straight into probably one of the more bigger conversations taking place. I actually wrote on this topic not that long ago, just a, a small piece, just to kind of help our church enter into the conversation. Um, but the tweet from Al Moeller, do you have the tweet pulled up from Al Moeller? Maybe you could read what it says specifically. Okay. You know, I'm going to have to pull it up, talk about it, and then I'm going to... Yeah, gonna while you're pulling it up. Uh, yeah. But Al Moeller just jumped straight into the question of uh, critical theory and how critical theory plays into our current conversations we're having on race. I've got it. And so, Joel, go ahead and read the tweet that Al Mohler originally tweeted out. If you want full evidence. Now, this was tweeted out. Okay, let's see. Is today the 15th? Yes. So it was tweeted out two hours ago. Actually, almost exactly two hours ago. He says, if you want full evidence of how your tax dollars are supporting critical ideology, a.k.a. I'm interjecting here to say critical theory, then look at this from the Smithsonian NMAAHC, which stands for the National Museum of African American History and Culture. Okay, he says, so, so look at this from the Smithsonian NMAAHC on, quote, whiteness and the white culture, end quote, which we are told are marked by work ethic, nuclear family, and monotheism and more. He said, he continues, you need to see the entire document. It explicitly identifies norm of Christian monotheism as part of quote, white culture, end quote, work ethic, scientific method, steak and potatoes, individualism, all part of quote, whiteness, end quote. And 
He continues, he says, I've been able to trace the underlying document to 1990 credited to consultant Judith H. Katz. This appears to be a source document from Cascadia College in Washington. I saw the Smithsonian document via, and then he, he tags the folks who shared the document on Twitter. So that's the tweet from Al Mohler. Right. So today what we want to do is we want to engage with that. And uh, I think maybe a couple opening words. You know me, Joel. I like some opening words. I always like to jump into a, a hard conversation uh, by having a couple words that I think help frame the entire conversation. It's easy to jump into a right. conversation and get into the weeds and miss the bigger picture. And uh, and to make sure that we don't do that, I always think a preface is important. Now, real when, quick, before you before you give your preface, Rafe, yeah. um, my our background right now, for those of you who are listening later on the podcast, you're missing out on this beautiful, I don't know what this ancient library is. Is that I your basement? That's... <laughs> That's the Think Institute study, at least <laughs> how I envision it. That uh, this, I thought this was a good background when we're talking about the Smithsonian Institute, a very reputable institution. And Rafe, um, give your preface, but really quick, the official title of this episode is, and I'm going to pull it up, is Has the Smithsonian Institute Jumped the Shark? So there you go. Now, now let's get into it, please. Well, I feel like after I give my preface, you're going to have to make sure we all understand the title because there's a yes. great history. Talking about the Smithsonian, you know, they, they should be the the kind of uh, the, the stronghold of history. And uh, there's a great history behind Jump the Shark, which I was uh, enlightened on earlier today. And uh, I think maybe that's it. that's in due order at some point. But let me give a preface before we jump into this conversation. Very important. We're going to be talking about race uh, in today, in our day today, uh, you know, we are in the middle of a uh, culture war, we might say, on race. It's an ideological conversation. Um, and it's one that the Bible um, has a lot to speak into, not in the way that is often spoken of by the mainstream media. But what I believe as a follower of Christ and as a pastor, who frankly is a pastor of a multi-ethnic church, uh, I get the blessing of being a pastor in the South Loop, which is a one of the very few multi-ethnic neighborhoods in the city of Chicago. I'm there intentionally because we're pursuing that type of work. Like I want to be right in the midst of a lot of these conversations that are taking place. And so these are not new conversations to the church. Um, they might be new conversations to culture at large as there's a bit of an awakening taking place. But a lot of the ideas and themes happening in the larger Black Lives Matter movement happening at kind of the higher level right now and all over social media. These are conversations that many in the church have been in uh, at a very deep level for a long time. And the reason we've been in them for a long time is because uh, the unity of God's people is right at the heart of God's uh, redemptive plan. Uh, not He's not only redeeming individuals, uh, but he has a bride, the church, that is composed of people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And so when we speak as Christians, speaking into a cultural movement that's taking place, we want to do it wisely. We want to do it uh, in a way that honors Christ as holy. And we also want to know that it's not wrong to critique a cultural movement. We're going to be providing some critique right now of some of the things that the Smithsonian is saying on the current Black Lives Matter movement, on the current Issues are taking place within race in our country. To critique a movement is not to throw the whole thing out. It's possible to say, man, there's a ton of really important good stuff that we need to be talking about right now that must be talked about. And there's an amazing biblical way forward. The God's way forward is a thousand times more. In fact, it's the other one's not even effective. God's way forward is the only effective way to see true healing and reconciliation take place. Um, but it's not to critique the movement is not to throw everything out. It's just to say, if we're going to use our minds, let's think about it biblically. Let's filter everything through the word of God. Let's know what's right. Let's know what's wrong. And let's move forward with one common voice. And so I say that just because I find that happening often where to critique the movement is to look like you are against everything. And that's not the case. Uh, we find a lot of uh, a lot of places to move forward in unison with a lot of the voices yeah. that are out there right now. And that's a good point. You're, you're talking about not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, which, you know, the reason why we can say that is because we're not coming at this 
what we're going to address is this infographic that Al Mohler referenced. We're not coming at it as as ideologues. We're not coming at it and saying we have an ideology that has to refute everything that these people say so that our political side will win or our sociological viewpoint will, you know, achieve hegemony or, uh, God forbid, you know, the people with our, uh, level of melanation, as was recently said by a particular, uh, celebrity who's now being canceled from the other side. That's a whole nother story. I won't get into it. Will be supreme or anything like that. We can, we, but we do have a standard. Our standard is not a skin color. Our standard is not an ideology, a man made ideology. Our standard is the Word of God. Mm. It's the person and work of Jesus Christ as revealed in the Word of God. And our goal ultimately is to glorify Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is glorified when truth is represented well, truth is, mm-hmm. is, is put forward. And when People are loved in his name. And one of the best things we can do to love someone, to love people, is to tell them the truth. And sometimes telling the truth, again, judging by the standard of scripture, one of the best, uh, one of, one of the activities that's involved with telling the truth is to sort through points and arguments and say, this can stay, this can go. Again, not by our standard, but this idea of separating wheat from chaff, sheep from goats, um, di- rightly dividing, these are biblical concepts. And so as Christians, we are well within our rights to take that biblical principle and apply it to everything. And mm-hmm. I think that's why we want to tackle this today, Rafe, is because we want to help Bible-believing Christians who are going to come across these ideas. If they if they don't see it from the Smithsonian website or from Al Mohler's tweet, it's going to come up in a podcast. It's going to come up in a, uh, a training at work. It's going to come up in a book. Mm-hmm. It's going to come up on Facebook. And so we want to help Christians sort through these ideas biblically without saying, I have to believe all of this or I can't believe any of this. Yeah. Instead, let's see if what's true, what we can keep and what has to go based on yeah. scripture and, well, and, and I, nothing you else. Know, and just to give you a practical example of that, right now I'm simultaneously reading three separate books uh, on this topic specifically, written by authors that would find themselves far more in the camp that we're probably going to be critiquing right now. Uh, and I got to say, I've learned so much from them. Honestly, like I feel like I've actually, I'm a, in some ways, my mind and my perspective has been expanded by expanded by reading them. I'm grateful that I've been able to take the best of what they've had to offer. But the only reason I can do that is because going into every book, I'm always asking the question, is this true? It's not true just because it sounds good or because it's emotionally relevant or because someone was able to word it in a good order and use good words. It's true if it's affirmed by God's word. And so while I'm reading these books that are very popular right now, and I'm reading them as a pastor trying to help my people lead through this moment, I'm pulling away the best of it saying, man, I'm grateful for some of this stuff. I'm better because of it. But I need to reject that idea right here. I need to make sure my people are being shaped differently than what he says in chapter four, because that does not make sense. And that's a bit of what we're doing right now. We don't have to fear other voices. We have a lot to learn from other voices. No one's got the corner on this thing. Well, Jesus does. The word of God's clear. Uh, And if we perfectly could master the word of God, then we'd have the corner on it too. Um, But we we need to pull the best from it and we need to critique well. In order to move yeah. forward. So let's do this. Let's, what I'm going to do is, um, in the description of this video, if you're watching this on Facebook or on YouTube live as we speak, you can, you can find the link to the article that has the infographic in it. Go ahead. If you're watching this right now, if you're at a desktop or, or even if you're listening, I don't know if it'll let you do it if you're on your phone, but um, if you're listening on podcast, this will be in the show notes. You can pull this up. But what I want to, us to do was to go through and let's look at this infographic that's about a third of the way down in this article. And it's titled, it's, it's titled aspects and assumptions of whiteness and white culture in the United States. Now, okay, quick, quick, um, introduction to this concept of jumping the shark. Okay. If you've never heard of this phrase, jumping the shark, (laughs) There's an old sitcom called Happy Days. Millennials will know about it. 
Gen Z, you probably don't know. Maybe maybe if I tweeted about it in emojis. No, no, if I put it on TikTok using only emojis, if that was possible, then you guys would understand. Um, I don't I don't really know how to rip on Gen Z yet, man. Like they're so I so don't understand them that I don't even know how to like rip on them. I'll oh, tell you, they're my favorite to evangelize to. You get the really? most amazing spiritual conversations with Gen Z. But go ahead. Okay. Okay. Well, that's good. Well, shame on me for ripping on them. That's I shouldn't have done that. No. Um, millennials, I have no problem ripping on because that's those are my people. But if uh, there's this old sitcom called Happy Days, and in Happy Days. Happy Days was all well and good. It was all fine until there was one episode where Happy Days featured the Fonz, who was like this cool 50s greaser dude. Um, uh, anyway, he, he for whatever reason, as part of some like, like machismo competition or something, he gets on his surfboard and then actually jumps off this ramp over a shark that's like, I don't know. This must have been like right after Jaws came out because the show, even though it takes place in the 50s, it, it was like filmed in the 70s. It must mm-hmm. have been right after Jaws when like sharks were like the big thing. Anyway, he jumped over this shark and that has gone down in history as one of the most ridiculous moments of any TV show. It was like just totally absurd. And ever since then or or because of that, the phrase jump the shark has been used for TV shows primarily, but really for anybody who reaches this level of ridiculousness from which there is no return. So like we mentioned earlier, if you've ever watched the show Happy Days with Steve Urkel, when Steve, if you've never seen that, find, I don't know if you can find reruns, it's such an amazing show, but Steve Urkel. It's a Chicago show. That's right. The dad is a Chicago cop. He's also the cop from what movie? Do you know? Die Hard. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. One of the best Christmas movies of all time. Mm-hmm. So um, when Steve Urkel develops a machine to turn himself into Stefan Urkel, this the suave, um, I don't know, suave ladies man, that show jumped the shark. So to, to jump the shark is to reach a point of ridiculousness from which there is probably no return. And what we're concerned about right now is that the Smithsonian Institute has done exactly that. Now, I've had beef with the Smithsonian Institute before. I did an interfaith panel in 2016 that they hosted that was all about human origins. And they set up this big human origins display at the Skokie Library. And Rafe, it was 100% pure neo-Darwinian evolutionary propaganda. Yeah. And But they invited me as a pastor to come in and well, along with some other faith leaders. And we... Um, we uh, spoke about the and, and sort of had this dialogue about the the uh, about human origins anyway I I think I I blogged something at the time about the Smithsonian but this time Rafe this time I think they've gone too far I really do so let's go let's go through it point by point okay are you do you have it up we can get through yeah 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 right 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 let's and let's definitely let's look at the ones that are like especially pertinent because uh, otherwise we, we may get bogged down in the weeds here. Yeah. Okay. What about this first one here? Okay. So here's what it says. White dominant culture or whiteness refers to the ways white people and their traditions, attitudes, and ways of life have been normalized over time and are now considered standard practices in the United States. And since white people still hold most of the institutional power in America, we have all internalized some aspects of white culture, including people of color. So now the next question you might be thinking, let's say you just came to this country is, well, let's see, America is filled with, you know, there's, uh, there's Irish, there's Scots, there's uh, Italians, there's English, there's, um, you know, Polish and uh, Romanian. Well, which, what, what does it mean? What is white? What is, how, how are we defining whiteness here? Well, that's what this infographic purports to do is we're going to now define some of these elements of whiteness. So the first one is, well, and before you go further, let me, let me, let me just say this. I don't want to throw that argument out. Uh, the, the opening paragraph, I think there's a very important history here that should be taken into consideration. Now we're going to get to bullet points. I just flat out disagree with. And the reason I disagree with them is on the standard of scriptures. Um, but what is said in that opening paragraph is worthy for every Christian to really think about. Um, I, you know, the, the history of race in America is very ugly. 
It does us no favors, anybody, no matter your race, no matter your country, it does nobody any favors to pretend like the history is not real and to pretend like it's not as wicked and satanic as it actually is. Meaning the history of actual racism in our Of life. actual racism. Of actual America. prejudice so, and, and pride right. and partiality. So you go back, you can legalized. Yes, you think agreed. of the horrors of slavery. Yeah. Yes, this was generations ago. But there is a very real impact that takes place in the history of our country from slavery through Jim Crow. And you just kind of go through many, many very specific racist actions that took place that were not just racist like a mean word said. That's terrible in and of itself. But were racist in the sense of many people died. I mean, the right. Ku Klux Klan was a legitimate organization that was yeah. supported by a lot of churches in the day, right? And ended up becoming a politically powerful. So I, I want to make a very clear statement that there is an important aspect of realizing the power that that history has had over minimizing many of the cultural aspects, particularly of our African-American brothers and sisters. So like one little, one little idea of this, and, and I'm saying this up front because I want to show where we, can, where we can support and say, wait, there's some validity here. Um, for example, when, when slaves were brought over to America, oftentimes they lost their name, right? They, they had a African cultural last name that meant something to them, but they were given new kind of American names. They lost their dress. They lost a lot of the things that they lost their language and they adopted what was the new language. A lot of those things actually did make up part of their generations past culture that was kind of stripped away from them. And so now as we go and we look and as we speak, I think there is validity in saying, wait, in that opening paragraph, what it's trying to communicate is, particularly when it comes to the African-American experience in America over a few hundred years, there was a long history where real culture was stripped away and where there was a forced almost assimilation uh, into yes. what was the common culture at the time. And we can recognize that. The Christian can say, wait, I see that that took place. Yes. I, I want to I work to find out what caused that, how we get there, and what are the implications of that today. So that's what I want to say up front. Kind of yes. A hundred percent, Rafe. And, and part of what was so uh, wicked about that whole era is and and we are very much dealing with it with elements of that today the residue of that is this artificial dividing people up by continent of origin or or uh or skin color right that's according to the bible that is um well let me let me put it this way according to the bible discriminating against people based on that is 100% wicked. That's right. completely completely condemned. And you and I have talked about that. I don't even think we need to rehash that because guess what? There are people who have watched that, who watched our I would say very biblical approach to that and still hate what we said. So right. I'm I'm I I'm I'm really not as concerned about appeasing those people. I'm more right. concerned with helping Christians think through these points biblically. And I agree with what you said. And um but let's let's get into it. So the first point. Okay. Rugged individualism. The individual is the primary unit. Self-reliance, uh, independence, and autonomy, highly valued and rewarded. Individuals assumed to be in control of their environment. You get what you deserve. You get what you deserve. Okay, so what do we think about this from a, a biblical perspective? Well, yeah, so the individual is the primary unit. So I think there's kind of two ways to process this. First of all, we want to process it from a biblical worldview. I think one of the things you see from the document as a whole is that there's a conflation. There's this kind of um, uh, mixture of we're critiquing Christianity and whiteness at the same time. And it's hard to figure out what exactly they're trying to communicate. As Christians, as Christian men, no matter what race we were, no matter what country of origin we're, we're from, I think the Christian recognizes that there is importance on the individual and there's importance on the community as a whole. And the Bible affirms both of those things. And Christians, whatever your background is, can affirm both of those things. So, for example, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, let no one seek his own good, right? Let no one seek his own good, but seek the good of others. Uh, the Christian mindset is that we really are living in a sense, for other people. We, we, part, part of the whole men series I've been doing is saying, look, if you're a man and you're a man of God, you've been placed here to see other people flourish and to lift them up. And so there's nothing uh, 
if we want to call it white culture, if that if that is what has become what is known as white culture, that you're a totally individual person, that is not Christian culture. If you're a Christian, uh, if you're Christian and your skin complexion is white, uh, that is not necessarily true of you. Yes, there's an individual. Meaning what? Radical right. individualism? Radical individualism. Right. R- radical individualism is certainly not biblical. Here's Here's the... So when the world tries to tackle this problem of the individual versus the collective, it veers off into one of two extremes. On the one hand, you get you do get this sort of radical autonomy that says, I do whatever I want, period, and no one can stop me. It's not it's not even liberty, it's license. It's it's you can't tell me what to do. That's sort of the mantra of that that flip that side. Mm. The on the other hand though, uh you can very easily slip into a radical collectivism that says the individual is subsumed within the group. And you get this, uh, this was the whole ideology behind communism and Marxism, and this idea of saying you are a member of a class, whether that's an economically defined class or an ethnically defined class or whatever other class distinction we're going to give you. This is what, this is the caste system in India. This is, you are born into something or you have been assigned this and we are going to treat you accordingly. Your personal identity is actually subsumed into your group identity. Mm -hmm. And both of those extremes are completely unbiblical. Right. It's only scripture that can balance the individual with the group. So what you just said, let each one not only look after his own interests, but also the interests of others. So you are an individual. You are. That's who you are. But you have a responsibility to in 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 that in the case of that passage to your brothers and sisters in Christ and scripture also tells us to do good to everyone especially those of you know the people of God the household of God but we are to do good to everyone and you look at the love of Jesus Christ who laid down his life for his enemies whom he loved aka you and me right while we were yet weak um while we were still sinners Christ died for us you look at that and that uh, that radical love is the paradigm that Jesus refers to when he says, love one another as I have loved you. So there you've got the individual and you've got the group and they're united by this Trinitarian gospel-centric love. It's love that unites us. So as right. Christians, we get to unite the individual. But 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 that being said, each of us is going to stand before God not as a group. We are going to stand before God as an individual. Galatians chapter six says each one will have to, each will have to bear his own load. Um, uh, Jesus himself said, no, no, no. Paul in, I think first Corinthians says, uh, before his own master, each servant stands or falls. And he will stand because God is able to make him stand. So we are going to have to stand before God. And there are implications of that for this world in which we live. You're responsible for your choices. I'm responsible for mine. Right. But those choices which we are prescribed to make do uh, ought to reap good for the benefit of others. So we live as part of a group. And this is one of the things that Christianity added to the world. I mean, just so just so we understand this, it's the Judeo-Christian worldview that places an individual soul that will live for eternity uh, in each person. And that's individual. Uh, our souls in the Christian worldview do not just kind of merge into the great abyss and the great kind of eternal ether out there after we pass away. But we live as individual persons for eternity, either in heaven or hell. That worldview, when it entered in and it kind of took over the majority worldview at the time, was fundamentally different. From the Greek philo- philosophical worldview of the time, the Eastern religions that continue to persist today, that teach of the kind of you, you lose yourself in the in the eternities. So Christianity really separated itself from that, and it's one of the reasons that society, in some ways, advanced from where it was at the time. When that understanding of the individual component, but also the understanding that the individual life, while eternal, while meaningful and not to be dismissed, is also to be poured out in the love and service of others for the sake of Jesus Christ, has a communal aspect to it, uh, it changed the world. That's one of the ways that uh, society started changing because you began to get individual rights, which came out of Christianity. You couldn't have someone trample over rights all of a sudden because the life had import to it. It meant yeah. something. And the other piece with that real quick, it's good. 
Oh, go ahead. You, you're going to jump in. Um, uh, no, go go ahead. That's good stuff. Yeah. Going, well, please. I don't. We, I don't. We're we're going to go forever just on this one point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we are okay. All right. Well, put a bow on this one for us, Pastor Ray. <laughs> what I would say is what. Let me make one other point with that real quick. At the same time, you can go the opposite way. Uh, it's possible, and I see where they're coming from. If you read the Bible with a Western lens in front of your eyes, and we do have a fairly individualistic modern culture compared to what Jesus's culture in first century would have been, it's far more individualistic in, in a lot of different ways. Um, that's not necessarily biblical. So a great example of this is, uh, I remember my seminary professor saying, when you think of Mary and Joseph making the trip to Bethlehem, right, before Jesus was born, what do you picture in your mind? And the picture I always picture is from the kids' books, right? It's like Mary and Joseph by themselves, Mary sitting on a mule, working their way over. And he goes, okay, I'm guessing right now you're picturing individuals making a trip. He goes, can I just tell you something? He goes, in first century, there's no way that, that Mary's family and close friends would have allowed her to make a trip by herself. They would have gone in a group. It was a, you move together as a group. There would have been others involved in this. There was a caravan of people. Now, yeah. is, that, is that definitely true? We don't necessarily have the text from scripture, but from cultural understanding, you get the point. We, we tend to think through things very individualistically mm -hmm. at a first move. And I think that's where they're going, but they're not necessarily biblically correct. Okay, and I'm glad you mentioned family because this is the next point that is raised is this idea of the nuclear family. Now, a lot of people have been interacting with the uh, the ideas put forward by BLM, Black Lives Matter, and I want to just give a quick. I want to I want to say game recognizes game here, Rafe, because I am somebody who tries to title my organization and my content, I try to brand it really well. So for example, I was down in Nashville a few weeks back and I was talking to, to uh, a new friend about the Think Institute. And he was going, the Think Institute, that it sounds like I already know of this. Like it sounds like I already know the Think Institute. And that is, he hadn't, he'd never really heard of it before. But that is exactly the right kind of reaction that I want to elicit. Like the Think, that's a good name. That that just sounds right. That's, you know, look, we're doing Worldview Wednesday. It flows. It's just good. What are you talking about? Christian worldview. You know, what's encompassed? Everything. It's the world. And it's when, when will you talk about it? On Wednesday. You know, like it's right. just a, hopefully it's a good name. Um, and I, and I know there's other guys out there with Worldview Wednesday stuff. So I'm not saying I invented that, but, but here as an organization, Black Lives Matter. That's one of the best possible names you could ever give your organization. And I know people have different, you know, have issues. They say it's good. They say it's bad. I think it's brilliant because it's a statement that everyone agrees with. Well, okay. Yeah. There's fringe actual white supremacists out there and stuff. Yeah. And sure, they would disagree with that and they'd be wrong. Right. But, but anyone who's clear thinking, who's, who's, you know, understanding a biblical, even a residually biblical understanding of like human dignity is going to agree. Yeah. Black lives matter for sure great name so i'm gonna i'm gonna let them know if they ever watch this that is an excellently named organization i should i wish i'd come up with something that brilliant for my organization now that being said they have taken a lot of criticism lately from people on you know i think both ends of the spectrum and everywhere in between politically speaking because their statement of belief man they tip their hand a little too hard they pushed a little too hard, I think, in their statement of beliefs, because one of the things that they say is we are going to, we want to dismantle the idea of the nuclear family. What's the nuclear family? Mom, dad, and kids living together in the house. Now, that idea of the nuclear family, okay, now, okay, go back to the infographic from the Smithsonian so we stay focused here. It says that family structure the the whiteness and white cultural assumption of family structure is this the nuclear family uh, maybe you can hear my kids in the background that's i we are a nuclear family although i'm at my parents house right now so uh so there's a tribal element to it too rafe but um the nuclear family father mother 2.3 children is the ideal social unit haven't heard anyone say that but okay husband is breadwinner and head of household I think what they're referencing is if you have a very, very short child, that's only 0.3 of a person. <laughs> <you can get. laughs> 
No, that's it. You're right. That's it. Totally. My little mirror uh, is a shorty pie. So maybe she only counts as 0.3. I don't know. That, that might be it. That might be it. Um, uh, from what I know about your kids, all of your kids are like 110% of a kid. So, <laughs> they're just, they've yeah. got a lot of life to them. Yes, they um, do. Okay. Uh, wife is homemaker and subordinate to the husband. Children should have own rooms, be independent. Now, okay. Can we just say, I want to, I want to, I want to take first crack at this really quick. Um, the nuclear family, where does this idea come from? Do you know in pre-Christian cultures, the nuclear family was, was not a thing. It was a tribal unit and whoever the, oh, speaking of my nuclear family. Hi, sweetie. Come on. You, you want to come over here? Want to say hi? Hey, sweetheart. So we're actually broadcasting live. We're, I'm doing my podcast right now. So yeah. how are you doing? Good. Good. What are you guys up to? We're going to go make brownies. Make brownies? Yeah. Yeah. Grandma. Can, I, can you make me some? Yeah. Pass one through the computer for me if you can. I think my family's making cookies upstairs. So I'll, I'll, while you're eating brownies, I'll be eating cookies. Pastor Rafe says, she, she can't hear you, so I'm going to say, uh, make, uh, please pass one through the computer for him. And, and that his family's making cookies right now. So maybe he can pass one of those through to us. What do you think? No? You don't think so? Okay. Okay. Love you, sweetie. Okay. So um, I got all kinds of off track. Oh, so the nuclear family is an, is an innovation of biblical Christianity, Rafe. If you go to um, – so the, the patriarch of the clan used to have the, the – I mean, he was the – he was the boss, man. He was the guy in charge. And within a household, the the paterfamilias, the head of the family, the, the father of the family, actually had the right to kill members of the family yep. that he deemed, you know, whatever, to have violated whatever the family law was. And this, I'm talking Roman. I'm talking Roman civilization, you know. The, the Romans, I mean, they were not, we're not talking about the barbarians of the hinterlands. This was the great civilization in the world. And the... The nuclear family with, with the husband as the head of the household, the husband and wife as ontological equals with the wife, uh, with the head, with the husband as the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, not as the emperor is the head of the empire or the paterfamilias is the head. So the husband, the husband is, is bounded, limited, and yet empowered at the same time. The, the wife is bounded, limited, and yet empowered and dignified at the same time. And guess what? Children are viewed as moral agents themselves. Children, mm-hmm. obey your parents in the Lord. Even children are called to an ethical standard of righteousness. Whereas in the old days, the pre-Christian days, children were to be neither seen nor heard. Children were one small step up from property until they reached whatever it was, the age of majority or something. Babies were regularly abandoned. So this idea of the nuclear family loving and living together is a Christian kind. This is not whiteness, man. This is a, this is a Middle Eastern Mediterranean biblical concept that comes from God, not from white people. We didn't invent this. So I, I take issue with this one big time. Yeah, and what I would add to it is that the greatest hope uh, for the future of society, whatever country it is, whether it's America or Canada or Australia or uh, Nigeria, you you name the country, the greatest hope is the nuclear fa- is a nuclear family operating under God's standard. Um, I, I don't want to say the greatest hope. The greatest hope is Jesus Christ. Let me correct that. Thank you, Joel. For I saw the look in your eye before I went. <laughs> but a very important piece of God's yeah. plan for. Uh, the mission of God to move forward is the nuclear family. He he has established it. He's established fathers as uh, and husbands as the head of their household. Um, he's established the role children are to play and given them instruction of how to obey their parents. The, the nuclear family is so important to the fabric of society. And, and one of the reasons we're having major issues in our society and we're having literally we're seeing a lot of the fraying that's taking place is because of the breakdown of the nuclear family. When you break that down, God's design, when you break down the nuclear family on a mass scale and you begin to say, actually, what is good, when you begin to call what is bad, good. So when you begin to actually say, what is the good thing? 
is not the nuclear family, God's plan. Instead of saying, actually, instead of saying God's plan is good, then society just begins to run amok and you get into a bit, lot of trouble. And we're in it right now. We've been watching the deterioration of the nuclear family among all different races and all that. We've been watching this for generations now in America and we're beginning to uh, sow some or reap some of that fruit. And it's not good. We're seeing it. And sociologists, psychologists who have eyes that are willing to look at the data can actually see God's plan really works. Right. The nuclear family has massive, massive benefits to children who are being raised to work within the world God created. And here's the really insidious thing about this. And I don't know if the Smithsonian Institute is, or the original author of the article is doing this intentionally, Rafe. Here's here's the real insidious thing about this. By, by attributing the nuclear family to this abstraction of whiteness, because the implication here is that whiteness is bad, right? That whiteness is oppressive or, or what have you. By tying the nuclear family to a, uh, a a social reality that is problematic, that is immoral, maybe they wouldn't say immoral, but they might say problematic. What you're saying is this is something to move away from, and that's that's wrong, man. That's 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 a devilish argument because white people don't own the nuclear family. This isn't something we created, and it to the extent that that. Uh, White people, black people, Asian people, Hispanic people, the, to the extent that anyone is benefiting from a strong nuclear family, that is a blessing from God. Mm-hmm. And that is absolutely something. I know what you meant when you said this is the hope. Civilizationally, there is something so incredibly beautiful, powerful, wonderful about parents discipling, Christian parents discipling mm-hmm. their children in the Lord, in their own household. And... uh and you're seeing the, the fruit of my discipleship uh, all around me right now. But um, uh, Rafe, final words on this one, and then we should move on to um, the Protestant work ethic probably. Oh, I just had a really important thought that I wanted to share, but it, it slipped in my mind right now. I just want to affirm um, the, the Christians need to be able to think really clear on this. There, there isn't really wiggle room. And this is being brought to us, not just on this Smithsonian article, and not just on the Black Lives Matter manifesto page, all over what you are seeing in, in the larger LG, LGBTQ plus movement that you see taking place, all over there is a, a notion that the nuclear family is archaic, white, something that needs to be thrown out. And, and Christians just need to be able to put their stake in the ground and say, wait a second. Okay, as soon as I see that, I can reject it. That's not true. God's word's really clear. There's instructions for fathers. There's instructions for mothers. There's instructions for a household. Absolutely. It, there's the, the, in the first century, did they live in a housing structure the way that oftentimes our modern nuclear families do? No, it didn't always look like this. Oftentimes grandparents were involved. Uncles were in, totally. It, it, it had a different environment. And we can appreciate that as modern Western Christians, that the exact way we live is not exactly how it was. However, Christian, when you hear someone say the nuclear family is no good and is something in the past, you put your foot down. You say, wait a second. No, it's biblical. It's right. It's good. It's true. And I'm not bending on that one. Amen. I sure Christians are clear on that one. Amen. All right. Uh, look, we might get to two more here. Oh, there's so many things here. Do well, you- I know you want to want to get to the scientific method one, Joel. Oh. I mean, I don't think you can do this without getting on there. Bro, look. Okay. We... This one, this one hurts my head. You know head. what? Let Listen. me set you up. I feel like I got to set, set me up. You. Set me up. Set me up. Let me set you up. I got so much to say, but I feel like this is this is your wheelhouse. Are you ready? All right. So here's the third point. We've talked about rugged individualism, family structure, and the third category is emphasis on scientific method. Emphasis on scientific method, and they give three bullet points of what they mean by that. First, objective, rational, linear thinking. Do that again. Objective, rational, linear thinking. Keep in mind, these are the things of whiteness that need to be thrown out. So objective, rational, linear thinking, cause and effect relationships, and quantitative emphasis. Joel, can you help me understand that from a biblical worldview? Bro, uh, for those who are listening later just to the audio, I just did a a face palm because, uh, okay, this idea that uh, that science and logical and rational linear thinking is is an, an an element of whiteness. First of all, my first question to the author, whoever wrote this, would be, 
okay, do you want me to understand your article in a logical way? Like, did, did you lay out your article with, a, with an introduction and a conclusion and with arguments that take you from the introduction to the conclusion? Because that sounds awfully linear to me. That sounds awfully rational to me. Like that sounds like, that actually even sounds a little bit like the, the, the classical, um, uh, the, the, the classical method of laying out an argument with an introduction and uh, a thesis and three main points and then uh, objections, resolving the objections and coming to a conclusion. Now I'm not, I don't know if the author had the, the classical form in mind, but you know, that sounds a little imperialistic here. It, it, and so, so your argument is that they're using logic to say logic is no good. Rafe, it's so it's self-referentially incoherent. It's right. inconsistent. And the idea now here here's here's where we really do begin to see the conflation of terms here. And I'm going to I'm going to lay this out. Here's what I mean. The author is supposed to be attacking whiteness. Okay, but they're giving he or she whoever it is is giving white people way too much credit here. This idea that linear thinking and, and logical rationality is is whiteness? No, I don't think so. Because these are, this is, this, here, here's where the conflation comes in. I'm sorting my thoughts as I think. I'm trying to put this out linearly and, uh, and logically. Go back to pre-Christian um, white cultures, which would have really been what you, you had maybe the barbarians. Okay. Maybe the, you had the, the Greeks with, were they, depending on how you how you look at them, to the extent that they were linear in their thinking, to the extent that they were logical in their thinking, they were uh, they were actually doing so inconsistently with their worldview. A, for example, a polytheistic worldview does not support. It's a metaphysic that does not support the kind of epistemology that's necessary for logical thinking. In other words, if you think the world is ruled by chaotic and capricious spirits, that's not a basis for thinking logically and rationally about the world. Um, now, when the when the biblical worldview begins to, oh, and by the way, to the extent that any other ethnicity, I'm trying to, I was thinking about white ethnicities, but think about non-white ethnicities throughout history, to the extent that they thought um, logically, rationally, linearly, which is typically viewed as more of a Western European thing than an Eastern European thing. But let's say that they, that they did to the extent that they did, they were doing so inconsistently. If you think the world is ruled by spirits, capricious spirits that must be appeased through human sacrifice or th animal sacrifice or what have you, that's not a basis for thinking linearly. That's not the, a being like that or, or a collection of beings, a pantheon like that cannot order a universe in such a way that rational thought is the way to access truth. Now the Greeks got something right because they, they recognized that there was a logos, a, 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 a spirit of rationality behind the world, a word or a logic ordering this world. They just didn't know who that logic was. They didn't know who the, the logos was. So now John comes along, to, get this, the apostle John comes along in John chapter one and says, in the beginning was the logos and right. the logos was with God. Okay. That's sounding very Hebrew here because Proverbs talks about how wisdom was there with God when he created the world and the, and the Logos was God. Suddenly, you, had, you now have a metaphysic. You now have an explanation of the, the uh, non-material world, the world that is ultimately real that can give order and structure and rationality to the world. And from that foundation, Jesus himself says, if you build on his teachings, you're building your house on the rock. If you don't build on his teachings, you're building your house on sand. So if you want to build your ideological philosophical framework on Christ's teachings, on the Logos, now you have a framework for building a, a society, a civilization, a family that is logical and in which people can communicate with each other linearly, rationally, logically. And by the way, this idea of linear linear thinking, that is biblical as well because it starts in Genesis where God created the heavens and the earth and it ends with, and God shall be their people and there will be no more hunger or thirst or crying anymore. It's a, it's a linear um, progression. So all this to say, the very idea of linear logical thought is not white. It is not whiteness. To the extent that white people use it, they are, they are thinking in biblical categories. 
period. To the extent that black people or brown people or anyone else uses it, they are borrowing from scripture. They're building their house, however inconsistently, on the biblical framework. Don't give white people that much credit. We didn't invent that. That's not our thing. You know, that's a, that's a Bible thing. And this whole idea of science, bro, where did science come from? Who invented, who discovered, not invent, who discovered the scientific method? It was Christians. Right. Biblical Christians operating from a biblical worldview that says that the universe is metaphysically arranged and uh, the universe is arranged in such a way that scientific inquiry is possible. Right. And bro, we haven't even looked at the scriptures well, which support let me, let me just, So one of the words they use so important. I'm gonna I'm gonna put a bow on some of what you're saying right here. One of the they say emphasis on scientific method, objective, rational, linear thinking. The concept of linear thinking. Look, it, when you go back to the Greeks where Christianity entered in, they were largely working on a cyclical worldview. They saw the world more as cyclical, much like how um, current Eastern religions think of the world. It, it often works in a cycle, right? Things come and they go and they happen, they pass and it reinstarts and get reborn, all this type of thing. And then along came Christianity and said, wait a second, no, history is moving somewhere to a definite end point. Uh, end point in the sense of Jesus will return one day. God's building his kingdom. Every moment will happen in succession. And then it will come to a climactic end. And that switch in mindset, it was that literal mindset shift where it said we're going somewhere with a purpose that gave rise to Christians discovering the scientific method. Because all of a sudden science would mean something. It had a purpose because we could better tomorrow. If we could better tomorrow, that would be a good thing. There was never a purpose to better tomorrow before. Why would you need to better tomorrow in a holistic way? Because... It's all cyclical. You're just going to come back into it under the old worldview. Christianity brought about meaning, purpose, and the pursuit of making your environment and the world around you better. How do you do it? By the Christian ethic. But if you're going to say, we believe in making the world a better place, we want to throw out Plato's class system, right? We want to throw that out. We don't believe there are hierarchies of people. We don't believe in racism like that. We don't, we don't want all of that. What you have to say is, wait, what changed that? It was Christianity. Christianity came along. And Christianity said all people are made in the image of God, no matter what your skin color is, no matter what poverty level you were born into, no matter how much brain power God equipped you with, all people are equally worthy of dignity, equally worthy of respect, equally worthy of love. And then it said history is going somewhere. It's moving in a linear trajectory. Use your minds to cultivate God's good creation and out of that came the scientific revolution, the breakdown of the class structure. Christianity brought that. So if you if you if you love the breakdown of those class structures, <laughs> if you love the dignity of all people, and you love seeing tomorrow be a better place than it is today, you're looking at what Christianity gave you. That's the Christian worldview, and it came because of rational, linear, purposeful meaning to life. So. Yeah. Just some of the same things you said, but I want to just, I'm, I'm looking at that exact word linear. Yeah. They're throwing out objective, rational, linear thinking. That's good, man. That's good. I mean, how many, how many Bible verses and we like, I'm, I, I, we're not going to rehash the whole argument. Um, I've, I've had multiple guests on the think podcast on the Tuesday twofer where we've talked about science. I just had an episode recently just got released yesterday with Lucas Giolis, um, who his his job title he's, he's basically a professional science nerd. I mean the guy is uh, the guy is insanely smart, insanely brilliant. He's a Christian apologist and a science geek. Um, and I'm not going to rehash the whole argument, but but science itself presupposes the biblical worldview. So the Smithsonian, this is where it gets just ridiculous with the Smithsonian. They think they're trying to they're trying to pull a fast one on us here, Rafe. What they're trying to do is they're trying to say, okay, whiteness is bad, and now let's cram as much as we can into whiteness. What not, not only are they contradicting themselves because they're trying to be linear in their thinking, et cetera, logical in their thinking, but they they're 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 trying to hijack this this moral impulse that we have, which is by the way a Christian impulse. Uh, at least biblically defined, that all people are, what you just said, Rafe, we all do have dignity. Look, there's this whole idea of dismantling wh whiteness, this whole idea of Black Lives Matter is rooted in a 
robustly biblical truth that we are made in the image of God. Right. And it's all, it's true and it's good to say that, uh, that, that, you know, that that is the case. But when you hijack that and you try to cram that good, true biblical morality full of these, these, I'm going to mark, they're Marxist. I mean, they, you know, people on this side of the fence, even if they're not intentionally Marxist, these are Marxist ideas. The idea of dividing people up into class structures. At the very least, let me say this, they're unbiblical. And you're going to take these, I know I see it, man, I see it chafing at me. Oh, man. <laughs> I said it, not you. I said it, not you, Rafe. No, uh, no, no, no. I, I, have, uh, I have something else. Okay, okay. Oh, wait. Well, I, I can be patient, although it's hurting me being patient. Okay, no, no, no. no. Jump in. Come on. Well, look, look, look. Let me, look. Last thing I'm going to say about this. Shame on the Smithsonian Institute for trying to cram in harmful, unbiblical ideas into a, a container of moral truth that is true and they're trying to cram it full of things that are not true. Shame on them. It's ridiculous. Any thinking person who under, who knows their Bible can, can see through this. And that's what right. we're trying to help people do. Right. Do not buy into this nonsense right. that, that says, yeah, if you really want to, you know, if you're, if you're against racism, you have to, you can't believe in science. If you're against racism, you, you should try to dismantle the nuclear family. Shame on the Smithsonian. This right. actually, this makes me mad, man. Yeah. This makes me mad. This is, you're trying to bring down, you're trying to bring down God's truth and, and God's society. Like, dude, atheists, how many conversations have we gotten into with atheists about, about science? And the Smithsonian blows past Christians and atheists and goes full wokeness and goes, no, 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 science itself is problematic. Right. Shame on you guys. We're not buying this. Can I just tell you what I think my favorite line is? And I, and I want to come back to everything you're just saying because I want, I, want, I want people to hear the pastoral heart here. I, you're nailing it. I mean, you're just crushing Go. it. But there's a paragraph after that image. And it's about three quarters of the way through. It's under the head title, the, the subtitle, Confronting Whiteness. I just want to read this sentence to us because it starts off in, in such a great way. The, t- the subtitle is Confronting Whiteness. And it begins, if you identify as white, pause. Okay, this is where we get into such a problem. There's, there's, if you identify as white, the rest of the paragraph reads, if you identify as white, acknowledging your white racial identity and its privileges is a crucial step to help end racism. In fact, I can actually agree with a lot of that statement. I can agree that there actually is uh, they're actually, it's good for us to recognize the differences between uh, cultural backgrounds and to be able to evaluate, not to evaluate in like a good or bad sense, but to identify and to see where we've made mistakes in the past. All of that can be wonderful. And then she goes on to say, facing your whiteness is hard and can result in feelings of guilt, sadness, confusion, defensiveness. I think that's a load of baloney. I think some of that is, you know, it. that's why we're talking about critical theory right now, because what critical theory says is that there's this ultimate power structure that be. And when it comes to the Western world, that power structure is all people that are white. And then you need to divest yourself of everything that is that is white in order to appease another group. I really think that's not helpful. That's not a biblical way to look at the world. There's too much good, important work to do to let that be our framework for moving forward. It's just not helpful. Quick sidebar there. Really quick sidebar. That does not mean we take pride, ethnic pride over and against any other. Just someone's going to hear that, Rafe. That, that is what you just said is very true and very biblical, and there is no partiality, pride, or prejudice toward anyone else of any other ethnicity or skin color right. in what you just said. I'm just going to put that out, and right. I'm sorry, but please but My continue. favorite part is if you identify as white, and this is where the modern <laughs> worldview, the whole thing just crumbles apart because with that, what they're saying is we, we, can't, we can't put a stake in the ground anywhere. We can't even, we're making a whole thing about those who have a particular melanin count in their skin. (laughs) But then it's an identifying thing. Well, are are we now adopting the language of other movements that are taking place around the world right now of what do you identify as with your gender? What do you, do you identify as this? And if that's the case, we're not even having a conversation that's rational at all. There's no way to move forward. And I think what's that, this is where I want to make sure Christians are hearing the heart behind this. The Christian worldview in our cultural moment is the only worldview that can bring reconciliation that works. Jesus alone brings reconciliation. 
between God and man and between man and man. If you want to know how to make that happen, if you want to know how to find reconciliation for the satanic history of evil that's been done to many minorities, not just in this country, but around the world and how it continues around the world, you got to go to Jesus. He can do that. He's got all the tools within his tool belt to do it. And he has done it and he will continue to do it. But, but if we, we have to be able to put our stake in the ground and acknowledge terrible argumentation when we see it and to be able to think critically of why the biblical worldview offers us a better solution. It's not if we identify as one or the other, we are something <laughs> I'm, I'm half Italian and the other half I'm British and my grandmother was Russian Jewish. I've got this fascinating mix of me. And by the way, the Brits and the Italians, I'll tell you what, they couldn't be any more different in a lot of ways if you tried. And if you throw Russian Jews in there, well, now I'm just kind of a whole mixture of a whole bunch of stuff, which is why I'm a very confused individual. However, <laughs> however, what I'm trying to say is, Christians, when you read this stuff, you have to be able to have clarity. You've got to be able to say, wait, I'm seeing a bad argument, and I'm not going to buy into that. And that's kind of what I've been trying to say the whole day today. Amen, brother. Amen. And, and it, uh, look, I like that appeal to Christians because at the end of the day, if we're, we're talking to Christians, right? We're trying to help Christians not see through the, or, or, or to see through these unbiblical arguments. Look, as Christians, we got to look at, an, at, a, at a, an article like this and say this. What is this based on? How, how does this author know or purport to know any of this? Because there's no, there's no epistemological grounding here. Epistemology has to do with your theory of knowledge. What is the basis for believing any of this? It, it makes a bunch of assertions. It just says, this is the way things are. Well, guess what? I can do that too. I can just say, Hey, God made everybody in his image. Uh, we're all sinners. Repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. If you don't, you go to hell. I can assert that. Now, the statement that I just made is not coming from my own opinion. It's coming from scripture, but I can make any assertion that I want. So Christians have to be able to look for arbitrariness in these kinds of articles. And, and Greg Bonson, the old, uh, the apologist, um, one of, maybe one of the greatest apologists of all times. Right. He, he, he warns Christians about that watch out for arbitrariness because what people can say an argument like this and look we we jumped right in we started refuting it rebutting it but rafe the, the first question we maybe should have asked is how do they know any of this on right. what basis or as the popular question is to ask by what standard right. by what standard and as christians we have to go back to god's word man that is our standard and it's God's word that motivates us to love our neighbors enough to warn them about this ideological pablum, this drivel. I gotta go. I can't even use American words. I gotta use British, British words right now. This is so bad. Uh, you know, this, this poppycock because we have the Bible, man. We have an actual, uh, we have a revealed, a revealed worldview from God. We don't have to buy into this stuff. And it's like you said before, look, if there's, to the extent that there's anything good here, eat that, take that in, but do so knowing that it's good because it's biblical. Right. And to the extent that anything in here is, is uh bad, reject it, spit out the bones and, and, and with vigor, don't feel bad about spitting out those bones because uh, because that's exactly what we're supposed to do. Get rid of that unbiblical thinking with extreme prejudice and stick to God's word. God, God won't let you down. And by the way, to all you, uh, to my atheist friends who might be watching this, uh, you, are you sure you want to, are you sure you want to go down this road? <laughs> because they're throwing science under the bus. They're throwing, I, listen, we're, we still like science over here, atheists. We still love science. Uh, are you sure you want to start, keep going down the, the godless train? Cause that's where it leads. Right. That's where it goes. We still get science over here. We love it. So re repent and trust Jesus. You get to keep science. There you go. Go this way and, you know, best of luck to you. <laughs> there you go. Anyway, any any closing thoughts, Pastor Rafe? Oh, no. This is always a good conversation. I think what as I close, I you know, whenever we, we go into this conversation, particularly on race, um, I, I do so very much with a heart that is looking out over my congregation, which is a very diverse congregation, and knowing so many of the stories, especially from those in the minority community, and my heart breaks uh, for those stories in ways that racism has played a part of their story. And honestly, as I, as I think about how to address this, one of my fears 
um, is that uh, in some way we don't express the true lament and sadness over the reality of racism in the world today and how it impacts our brothers and sisters of minority background, particularly in the world we live in today. And that's real. And as a pastor, um, to especially my congregation who's listening, I, what they know and what they should hear over and over again is, man, we as followers of Christ, um, men and women, followers of Christ, we want to hear each other's stories. We want to listen well. We want to step into brokenness well. And we want to do it with the clarity and the order and the worship of Jesus Christ because he alone brings reconciliation and healing. And so I hope that's what's been heard today. Uh, that's what our aim was going into this. And uh, and hopefully that kind of um, gives us a bit of a closing on how to wrap this up. But thanks for, thanks good, for this conversation up for us today, Joel. Bro, it's my pleasure. I really, I really appreciate you taking the time. We got to wrap up. Um, connect with the Think Institute by going to thethink.institute. Get all of our podcast episodes. We've got courses online. We've got uh, resources. We've got a full apologetics and biblical worldview course that is right there in our courses library. Go check that out. We've got other resources as well. Connect with us on social media. We are at the Think Institute on Facebook. Um, you can connect with us at at Think Inst on Twitter. We're on ThinkSpot. We're on Parlor. We are on uh, Instagram. So check us out. Get connected. And you know what? If you've if you've got a comment that you wanted to share and didn't share, send us an email at thethink.institute at gmail.com. Get in touch with us that way. I sure hope, we sure hope that you've heard something that has been helpful. And you know what? This is not goodbye. This has just been a little pit stop along the way of your spiritual journey. That's about all we have for you today. So until next time, I hope it made you think. We hope it made you think. I'm speaking in the collective, not just uh, radical individuals. You see that? That's good. Uh,